0: When our children were little, there was this phenomenon called t-ball. T-ball is the introductory stage of learning to play baseball. And the way it works is that nine, ten, or 11 children are sent into the outfield, and they're stationed at the bases and shortstop and out in the field, and one person symbolically stands on the pitcher's mound, but the ball is placed on this T. And then the other team sends the batter out, and the batter gets up there and swings and swings. There's no strikeout until finally the batter connects, and the ball goes screaming out through the outfield. Now, this is the part that I love. All 9, 10, or 11 children run to the ball. And somebody grabs it or holds it up, and then they all stamp. So they stampede, and the runner, sometimes the runner heads for third, sometimes the runner goes to first. The runner's out there somewhere standing on a base. And it's really hard to get anybody out, but eventually the parents work it out so that there are a couple of innings, and they declare it's a tie, and all the kids go home That image came to me as I was reading our scripture lesson today. Let us listen to the scripture from Numbers chapter 11. The people have been complaining to Moses, and so in verse 16 we read, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel whom you know to the people and officers over them bring them to the tent of meeting, have them take their place there with you. I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people along with you, so that you will not bear it all by yourself. And then, verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men said, My Lord Moses, stop them. Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Moses says, I wish the Lord would put his spirit on all the people and all of them would be caught up in declaring God's I love the book of Numbers. We don't go to it very often, but it is a very human book. Exodus, of course, tells of the struggles in leaving Egypt and getting Pharaoh behind them. And the book of Deuteronomy is about arriving in the land of promise, in Canaan land. But Numbers is the traveling book. Numbers is the book that gathers up the stories of the people on the way. It is the, how much farther is it? book. In this week's episode, the people are complaining. They are cranky. They are tired of manna. Manna, manna, manna. What's for breakfast? Manna. What's for supper, Mom? Manna. They have had it up to here. First, they were fighting. There was nothing to eat, and then the Lord provided manna, and after a while, they were tired. So they send a committee to tell Moses that they want something. And then Moses, feeling sorry for himself, gets cranky, and he complains to the Lord, saying, Lord, whose idea was it to bring all these people out here into the wilderness? Not mine. Did I give birth to all these people that I now have to carry them on my back all the way to Canaan? If so, then just kill me now, Lord, or send help. So... The Lord sends help. You are right, Moses. You should not have to watch over, guide, feed, and nurse all these people by yourself. Pick 70, and I will put the Holy Ghost upon them as well. And they too will be prophets and leaders and guides and shepherds to help the people find their way. You do not have to do this alone, Moses. So the 70 are selected, and it's time for officer installation up at the tent of meeting, which is outside the camp over a ways, the tabernacle, the place of worship. And 68 show up, 68 out of 70. I would call that a great turnout myself. I would be really glad to get 68 out of 70. The Spirit does indeed fall upon them, and they... They prophesy. They sing. They tell of the goodness of God. Perhaps there is some ecstatic dancing. They are utterly caught up in the wildness, the goodness, the presence of God. But two guys are running late. Two guys didn't set their clocks ahead for daylight savings time. Two guys got busy doing whatever it was they were doing, Eldad and Me Dad, And the Holy Spirit the wind that blows where it will, the spirit that is not too worried about timetables and rule books and policy decisions, the spirit falls on Eldad and Medad over in the camp, and they too get caught up in the, the ecstasy of the spirit. They too begin telling of the goodness of God. They are overwhelmed. Now notice I said the very human part of the story. Notice the number two guy is the one who gets upset. Joshua is the one who gets upset about Eldad and Medad. Joshua is probably the guy who takes the minutes at the meeting. Joshua is probably the guy that makes sure everything is done right. I'm guessing Joshua is Presbyterian. Moses, stop them. They are out of order. They are not lined up with the rest. They don't even have a coat and tie on. They did not get the memo. Stop them, my Lord Moses. And Moses is stunned. He says, I will not stop them. Far from it. I wish that God would pour out the Holy Spirit on all the people so that all of them could tell of the wonderful deeds of God, so that all of them could sing and serve the Lord wherever they are. This is the prayer of Moses. It is the vision of the prophet Joel who says, One day God will pour out the Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old timers will dream dreams, and your young ones will have new vision. The prayer of Moses, the vision of Joel, the promise of Jesus. Jesus says, I will not leave you alone. The Advocate, the Spirit of Truth will come, and you shall be my witnesses. The Spirit is not just poured out on the clergy, it's not just poured out on the church officers, but on the whole church, so that all may tell of the goodness of God, so that dreams and visions may multiply about how we are to serve God together. It's hard to talk about the Holy Spirit Of the three and the Trinity, the Spirit is the most difficult one to pin down because the Spirit is the presence, the breath, the life, the wind. There's only one word for wind, spirit, breath. In the Old Testament, it's Ruach. In the New Testament, it's Numa. The wind broods over the waters at the beginning of creation, and the world begins to be formed. God makes a creature out of clay, and God breathes, gives spirit to the creature, and the creature becomes a living being. Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, Receive the Holy Spirit in John's Gospel, the breath of God, the life of the divine, the wind that blows where it will. And when Jesus breathed on those disciples, They began telling of the goodness of God in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and everywhere they went. Wind, breath, spirit, all of these equal life and liveliness. So a church full of Holy Spirit is a lively place. It's a place where lots of people share their energy, their vision, their joy about God's love. In such a church, the windows may bang a little bit, the shutters may get loose, The notes may be blown all over the floor as God pours out breath of life, Holy Spirit, upon all the people. We just finished our officer training for new elders and deacons, and we used a book this year by the Reverend Joan Gray called Spiritual Leadership for Church Officers. And in one chapter, she has this very telling image. She talks about the difference between rowboats and sailboats. She talks about rowboat churches and sailboat churches. She writes, the bedrock reality in a rowboat church is that God has given the church a basic agenda. For example, make the world a better place or save souls or help the poor. God has given the church an assignment, and then it seems that God has gone off to do something else and left the church to get the work done. In a rowboat church, it is all about duty and sweat and effort. In a rowboat, you know, you sit and look backwards, and you row as hard as you can, and when you stop, the boat stops, and then you row some more, and when you stop, the boat stops. In a rowboat church, most of the discussion is about How much time do we have? How much resources do we have? What people can we talk into, lean, twist the arm to get them to help us with this? A rowboat church is all about our effort. You know how a rowboat works. It's all about our strength. But then she says a sailboat church. In a sailboat church, the dominant attitude is surprise. God always does more than we can ask or imagine. The leaders of a sailboat church know that when God calls, God provides. In a sailboat, you sit looking forward. In a sailboat, you put your sail up and you wait for the wind and you don't have any control over the wind and you know you don't. So there's not a lot of sweat. There's not a lot of oh, I've got to get this boat to move. I mean, you could stand up and blow on the sail, I guess. Not much is going to happen. But if you've been in a sailboat, you know what a thrill it is when that breeze comes up and the sail fills and the the boat begins to tilt and it takes off. A sailboat church knows that what God calls us to, God will provide so that we can get there where God calls us. Over the years here at First Church, I've seen lots of sails hoisted into the breeze that God provides. As alpha classes have formed, as people have gotten together in small groups to pray and to read scripture, as mentioned, mission ventures have been dreamed up and then acted upon, as folks have gotten out their guitars and their tambourines and made music together, God gives the breeze. About two weeks ago, we held a big dinner, Transform FPC, and in this, three lay people got up and testified to the, the goodness of God and the surprises as we begin going forward in the next few years. I hope you were there. If not, there is a website, Transform FPC, that describes a, a year-long process of dreaming and visioning and listening to what the Spirit is saying to the church. What I ask you to do is to read over that prayerfully and begin listening. Begin listening for that place where the the window in your life begins to, to rattle, where the breeze begins to pick up. Look for that line or two, not a whole page, a line or two, where you begin to feel the breeze in your sails and you feel drawn to be a part of some part of that transformed, because this is what we believe the Spirit is saying to this church in these days. The prayer of Moses, the vision of Joel, the promise of Jesus, these are coming true among us as the Spirit is poured out on all the people. It's like a wonderful t-ball game where everybody is so caught up, so excited that they run to the ball and then they all